I'm Yannick Basil. I'm the narrative designer on TMNT Shredder's Revenge, and you're listening to the Scene World podcast. Sup, yo? It's the Scene World podcast. My name is AJ. That is Jurg over there. Amazing. Yeah. Again. It's amazing. That is Jurg. Yeah. I just got back from getting my 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 COVID vaccine, my 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 booster. Nice. nice. So I'll probably be feeling miserable in several hours. But okay. You before that happens, that. before that happens, we'll uh, we'll try to get this uh, done with. Um, okay. Well, before yeah. we go into the interview, which Who is we actually to today? with yes. Julia Valentini mm-hmm. and Fabrizio Risso from Small Thing Studio. And we are talking about the yet-to-be-released Science Sorcerer Origin. And this is, I was told, the first time the two are doing the interview together in English mm-hmm. rather than Italian. Yep. So, praise for that. Yeah, I, I missed that one. I had, I had, I had some work. I had, I had work. I had things. I had adventures. So, unfortunately, adventures. unfortunately, I had to back yeah. out of that one at the last minute. But, but. Um, I really wish I was there. Yeah. Anyway, the tools are responsible for lead to the, to the artist mm-hmm. and writer. Yes. So, so that's, that's that's it. Yeah, that's in a minute. Before that, exactly. there is some news. Oh, on, but I've got, I don't I got plenty. I guess you yourself. got plenty. I I do. I've got some. I've got I've got two things. I got I got two. Well, then start you because okay. two is more than. Eight oh, that I got. Two is more, well, no, two is not more than eight. But no, 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 eight, eight, eight is more than two. Math, mathematically. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the number one bit, uh, the, the first piece of new piece of news. I, <clears throat> the first bit that goes well today. Oh my god, yeah, see, see the effects. It's already, it's already getting me, yeah. Yeah. The first bit of news I've got is um, um, Geos has been ported to the Atari 8-bit. Nice. Um, so, so this 800 is... 800 XL. Um, I'm not entirely certain what... Um, no, actually, no. Um, you need an Atari with at least 128K of RAM, which is a 130XE or an expanded 65XE as oh, minimum. okay. Okay. Um... There is no actual disk access support, so it's all RAM disk at the moment. Um, this was done by uh, this was done by two guys. It was done by uh, 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 ma- ma- uh, mass ma- uh, message with Kowiak. I'm sure I said that wrong. It's a Polish name, and and the other is Michael Style. Nice. So that one I know I got right. The other one I know I got wrong. I'm, I apologize to the geniuses that 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 ported this. Um, it's a fork of Geos 2.0. Um, they say it actually works better on the Atari. Um, awesome. The, so um, there's there's um, there's a GitHub page where you can get. The file for it, which is a RAM disk image, um, 
which includes the geos kernel disk driver uh input driver and loader um or you can run it on an emulator it has to be pal um and joystick import one uh and you have to use the option key instead of the commodore key because there is no commodore key on an atari keyboard um that's but, nice but otherwise um yeah um because you know the original um the original geos didn't have all that like, like it gave you that mac experience that 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 graphical user interface with just a one megahertz 6510 uh 64k memory one disk drive um a 320 by 200 screen and and some kind of point device either a joystick or a mouse and um and so theoretically i, I mean it, well, it had been ported to the apple the apple II had geos um and i mean even even the pc had, had yes. works later on but uh this is the first um time that they did it for the atari and um they've <clears throat> so they've they've re reverse engineered the desktop and as far as i know GeoWrite is the only application that they've mm. got Though so they didn't reverse engineer they're, the whole operating they're system. They're working on that. They're working on mm. it. The, what I see, what the screenshot I see is um, it shows the calendar, uh, some fonts, Geodex, GeoMaker, and GeoTic-Tac-Toe, GeoTile, some stuff like that. I, mm. and now, I don't know if this is just, you know, I mean, obviously, I'm sure the file system is probably similar or they have, you know, like, the way that 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 geos handled the files were kind of weird so these might just be the commodore files that haven't been converted over yet mm. the the atari 8-bit is is very close in architecture to the 64th it's both there there it's a 6502 cpu um it's got similar ram capabilities um and um yeah but they're um they're they're as, they're actually asking for help to support um, real real actual floppy drives. Nice. Well, so, so good, good to see yeah, there's a starting yeah. point. So we'll put a link to the GitHub page where you can check that out. The Geos on Atari. Um, nice. Which is What's which is second? interesting because yeah. because you know the other thing that was on Atari was Gem uh, on the 16-bit systems. Mm. And I always thought that Gem was kind of a step down from even Geos. Mm. You know, I mean, Amiga OS is is was, was a beast, mm. and the Atari that that sixteen bit Atari competed with the with with the Amiga, but the Gem operating system was nowhere near on the Atari's level. Never had an Atari, so no idea. Yeah, and and and. It, it felt it, even geos has more um more customization more oomph to it than than the gem platform in my limited experience i didn't have it i had an atari 800 xl i rarely used it but i did have an emulated uh gem atari thing and it was just just very limited i found um so um yeah so that's that's the first thing hmm. uh, we'll put a link to that um the other one is just um, a game, uh, Tenebra 2, which is a puzzle game, an atmospheric puzzle game. Hmm. Um, 
has been released. It's a direct a sequel to Tenebra, um, which was released by um, I don't know who released that Havoc, I guess. What system is uh, it for? C sixty four. Okay, never heard of that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tenebra is actually available on and yeah, it's sixty four. It's available on itch.io. Uh, there is a plus four version. There's a ZX Spectrum version, and there's the 64 version. Um, and Tenebra 2 contains 35 levels. Works on both PAL and NTSC machines. Of course. Now, well, but that doesn't mean that doesn't necessarily mean that it's NTSC fixed. That just might mean that it's like old school games that just happen to work on both. Mm. So, like yeah. you know, pit stop, pit stop two, and stuff like that. So you know. I, I I don't know I don't I don't know I have I have not played the game mm. uh, but but the 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 uh, description that I have is is guide the hapless protagonist to the exit uh, but keep in mind that he's afraid of the dark and refuses to walk in dark areas. Hmm. Okay. Fair. That's fair. That's what I got. And okay. I'll put a link to where you can check out both Tenebra and Tenebra Two. Um, and Tenebra is a name your own price, I believe, on on uh, on itch.io. Um, so I'm not sure about Tenebra. Let me let me check Tenebra two right now while, I, while I'm sitting here. That's also a name your own price. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah, and it looks nice. It's it's very dark. It's it's mostly character graphics, uh, mostly dark grays. Um, so I guess it's atmospheric and uh, and it's got a lot of good reviews. Nice, nice. So, yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of which, my news: Eye of the Beholder, unofficial mm-hmm. version, is released for the C64. Um, Andreas Larsen, decoder, made a public Facebook post about it, and he also linked to a page where you can sign up for an email to be notified when their Kickstarter is going to start. Where you can get a physical cartridge release. Now, this is the 64 version, but yeah. but if I recall correctly, there is it has uh, 128 specific features in that you can you can run dual screens. I have no idea. I mean, um, Oliver didn't mention that in the interview yes. we had with him. Yeah, where, so probably where, that came afterwards if that happened. I, I I remember that not not in the interview, but but in Gamescom we talked about that because the eighty column screen shows you the map, mm. and then everything else is on the forty column screen. Mm. Perhaps that, in the that panel was that we had with him. Okay. Yeah, that was added uh, later on. Okay. Uh, so well, so. during the panel, I was more concerned about making yeah. sure our Skype call and it doesn't break. I, I know, I know. Yeah, you were uh, you were engineering uh, that. Exactly. But, yeah, but that was uh, but but it does. I believe if this is the same uh, eye of the beholder, it has some 128 specific stuff that makes it interesting for 128 owners. Nice, nice. Yeah, well, so we will link to that. And mm-hmm. also, Mike Clark, which we had here before mm-hmm. for Insidious in the podcast. Yes. He found at his dad's loft an old VHS showing footage of an unreleased N64 game. Mm. 
And um, I will link to that to his tweet on Twitter. And actually, it's sort of a discussion with all the former people responsible for this unreleased game. That's quite interesting. I, I was going to say, you know, because I'm sure that, that I wonder if this game exists anywhere and if, if there's a possibility of release now that it's been discovered. We will see about that. But anyway, or, Mike or, Clark or, is a good like guy. A, yeah, or a retro engineer of the game, depending on how... I, I mean, it could be a crap game for all I know. Yeah. Get the source code from the VHS tape somehow. Well, no, no, no. But you, can, <laughs> no. you can retro-engineer it based on what it looks like and recode it, you know, yeah, be like, all right, this is the I mean. game. Yeah. yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. 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 So that, that just, could be just a, interesting. Just a demo. Yeah, it yeah. It never has been released further than a demo, so hmm. we'll see. We'll see about that. I love I love that when you look on to, to, to like, YouTube and you see old vhs stuff of like um there's a lot of like uh q-link videos of old old vhs um um things of like you know like the chat rooms on on q-link back in the day that that people put up and and i, I love watching that because it's like just the, the nostalgia of like oh yeah i remember when my screen looked like that crappy <laughs> and 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 you know like like now now it's like you know you used a video. Ca I used a video capture card to 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 um to show what um the absent BBS looked like we logged in through through Nova Term on the, or Strike Term on the uh, C64. It's a whole different experience than that old VHS, you know, garbled nonsense and the, the squiggly lines and stuff. Yeah, but but actually he he remastered the oh. um, VHS tape pretty good, so. Can't complain here. Nice. It's still yeah. nice. Period stuff. Period. Yeah. Period era stuff. Well, other news: the uh, Slice and Dice board game cafe and bar reopened after relocation. Hmm. And um, the nostalgia nerd actually tweeted about that, and we will post to that. Speaking um, about really quickly. Yeah. Speaking about tweeting, I want to just remind people again that we are on Mastodon. Yeah, you know, Dennis thinks our PR person that this hype will die off. So I, you know, I'm I'm watching the amount of people um, loading on to Mastodon, and I've got quite a few people that I've seen pop on there, and uh. and I've already, I mean, I made a post and. I there were more interactions in that post than I, I usually get in any of my Twitter stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so, anyway, we are there. Anyway. We are we are on yeah. Mastodon. And yeah. and that it is it's a little bit more complicated than Twitter, but it works very similarly and well and the only thing that's more complicated is that because it's decentralized, you mm -hmm. always have to have two tabs open. The one you want to follow repost or comment on, copy the link, and then go to the other tab where you are actually logged into your account at the server instance you are using, and There's, then pasting that into the search engine. If, if you are using a Mac, and then that works. If you're using a Mac, there's uh, in the App Store, there's an app called Mast, which is very close to what the old TweetDeck used to look like. And, and if it works using, very similarly. And if you are using uh, um, 
an iPad or an iPhone, you can use MetaText, mm -hmm. which is an app that does that all for you yep. and copies the handling of Twitter. So. Yep, yep. And same thing on Android. The app is um, just the app is just Mastodon. Yeah, but well, the app you, you also have Mastodon on the iPhone, but yeah, it doesn't really work like like Twitter does because it has some shortcomings. You always um, you always you always um, when you search, you don't search globally. You only search on your server and so on. Right. Yes, but meta yes. text is automatically doing it like Twitter right. would. Right. So, right. Yeah. So you can't compare master done on the Android with meta text on iOS. Yeah. Anyway, so the other thing, um, there is a new German PDF magazine called Polygonian that has been released. Hmm. Um, and it is designed to be a one-off thing because that took like three years to to publish and create. So perhaps there will not be a second or third issue. Well, it's designed as a one-off. Yeah. Hmm. Well, the creator actually <coughs> wrote wrote to me. <coughs> sorry. Um he wrote to me in Mastodon saying, despite he's not into retro computers and Commodore 64, he checks out the Scene World magazine and he likes us. So that's nice. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. And also there is an update from Quinnell God from France from Watermelon oh. Games. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he kept his promise and recently um made an update video showing all the stocks of watermelon relocated to the new location in the US. And um, that video where, actually found where, its way where, to YouTube. Where is he in the US? He didn't tell exactly, of course. Um, typical, typical Gwinnell. Well, he only shares as much information yeah, as yeah, necessary. Yeah. yeah. He's got he's to stay off the grid for as long as he can. Well, I wouldn't say stay off the grid. I mean, Not off the grid, but but because you know. he posts updates. But yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, but he's not going to be like, hey, I'm in, I'm in New York or something. Yeah. Where where <laughs> where AJ can drive? AJ and Nick can 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 take a ride to his house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, Jam. GG, which um, was Pipehacker before, yeah. that we interviewed, they actually canceled their Kickstarter Pipehacker yeah. reader, uh, yeah. reader because of the problem of the ship shortage and that the parts are extremely more expensive. Yeah, they are. And instead of redesigning the Pipehacker reader with less features than promised, they decided to scrap the whole project altogether and all backers, so like me, will get a refund before Christmas to their credit cards. 
I've been following some discussions on uh, the 64 Ultimate and 1541 Ultimate groups on Facebook, and Gideon Schweitzer was talking about some of the um, the FPGAs. First, he 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 had he designed a different like like a a lower um, like co- sort of a, a um, cost reduced um, 1541 Ultimate um, to. Uh, to deal with the fact that there's a chip shortage, you know, using different different hardware, and now it's like the 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 FPGAs that cost that used to cost you know fifty bucks or hundred bucks are now now cost you know close to a thousand dollars. It's it's ridiculous. And and somebody posted that they had ordered um they had ordered a bunch to work on a project and the order was canceled because um, a, a country's military bought them all out and the company had no choice but to go with the military order. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, Whoa. so it's, it's really, it's, it's a, it's a real shame that, that, and it, it's weird too, because the low end, the low end FPGAs are getting expensive while the higher end FPGAs are getting less expensive because it's the lower end ones that, that, that are being that I guess there's demand for. Mm. Hmm. Well, that means I will get $300 return to me just yeah. before Christmas. And it also means that, that, that the, uh, 64 ultimate, um, and whatnot, uh, won't be, there will be nothing happening until at least, uh, next year sometime. Which doesn't, um, um, doesn't make such a big difference considering that pre-orders often take six months or more to get right, fulfilled. Right. So, but right. now well, that means even more, but luckily yeah. I already got my stuff two years ago, so I'm fine. Yeah. yeah I got my 1541 ultimate off of eBay. It's an, it's a. It's an earlier model, so I, I I didn't get it from from the source. I I get I got the uh, second model myself, so it's like five seven years old, but I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm using it only for da- data set dumping, though. That's totally fine with me. I, I I use it for the super snapshot, the built-in super snapshot, and the REU capabilities. Hmm. Nice. That's, that's what nice. I use it for. Well, so more about that um well the game unusual finding which is the retro alien stories um point and click adventure from argentina that we interviewed their publisher with um at last gamescom they mm-hmm. actually won adventure game of the month award nice yeah congratulations to them yeah yeah that's, that's- um, Pretty, well, who, but from who? Who did they win it from? What, what was the what was the organization giving out that that um, that award? Let's see. Wait a second. Because I could say, you know, hey, this is the <laughs> video champs. Okay, cool. Yeah. Excellent. So it's a, a legit. Yeah. Legit. Well. And some things happened at Yandex, which we interviewed a couple of years ago because of the Moscow um, Computer Museum. Uh-huh. And two things happened. When they were, when they were pressured 
by the government to do um, state regulated news. Mm -hmm. They said we won't do that. And they sold off their new section to to um, V Contacte, which is oh, owned wow. by the government. Wow! Wow! They, they they said we don't want to be involved with the Russian government. So That's... and and they announced yesterday because I'm subscribed to the press, the English press um, newsletter, and they announced yesterday that now they are moving their production to. Um, Uzbekistan. Wow. If wow. you can't do business wow. in Russia, do it elsewhere. Wow. Right? Wow. Yeah. That's, and, that's, and, uh... and, and now you can go into Uzbekistan stores and buy an Alexa like AI assistant called Alice. That's that's really interesting because, you know, we, we were we've been. We've been tiptoeing around the 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 whole Russia Ukraine thing, and and how how to deal with it and stuff. And now we've got it straight from Yandex. Yandex is the the Russian Google, and they're they're as soon as Russia you know asked them to do something, they're like peace out. And that's <laughs> I mean that's you, you know you know you're doing something wrong when when you know your version of Google is like. Goodbye. <laughs> I found that super interesting. Yeah, yeah, that is, that is, that's very interesting. Yeah. And that's that 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 kind of um, bolsters my 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 uh, faith in humanity. That 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 the people in the index, because you know, we talk to them. You know, you think of Russia as you know a monolith in that. You know everything is the same, and the people are not. And we've discussed this before. The people do not represent the government. You know, the people and so do not, doesn't Yandex. Right, exactly. Right, yeah, right, right. And that's that's and that's what we learned. We, we talked to them. You know, it's like they they were very. You know, um, they were more interested in doing the stuff that we're doing. They they didn't care about the politics. They weren't there about about you know the the, the great Soviet history and all that stuff. They were like they were there about about following this 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 interest that they had you know and and providing the service that they that they do and and it's interesting how they deal with that faced with with what what's happening right now so that's yeah good good on you guys we we uh i so i support their decision to 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 jet I was like, okay. okay. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, yeah, that's cool. That's nice. That's, that's, uh, like I said, it restores some of my faith in humanity. Well, it's, no, nobody said that all the companies that are headquartered in, in Russia have to agree what the government is doing. Well, Russia says that. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, Yandex must have some power if they can openly say in a press release, no, we won't be doing that, despite yeah. we are asked to do it. Yeah. So, and I mean, this is the official English release press. It's yeah. not something that is 
translated by a third party or mm -hmm. whatever or missed in translation. No, that's official press releases. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When you I'm also subscribed to the We Contact uh, press um, press release newsletter in English and their their newsletter is more toned towards oh everything is fine yeah everything yeah. is awesome like in the Lego movie song everything is awesome yeah, yeah. <laughs> so totally different it's like, it's, it's like it's like that cartoon of the dog sitting in a burning room saying exactly. yeah, this is fine this is fine exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, and last bit of news is James Rolfe, a.k.a. the Anchorman Video Game yeah. Nerd, released a book, A Movie Making Nerd. And it can be bought over Amazon. And the thing is, the dynamic Amazon shortcut link is actually redirecting to the company your IP address is from. That's smart. Okay. So compared to all the other books, I can actually get it from Amazon Germany, not from Amazon USA. So he released it globally at the same day, which most people are not thinking of. Most Kendra. people are like, oh, is there anything else than Amazon.com? Yeah, James Rolfe, who is still on our on our list, who has not responded to our, our James, James, James. Perhaps, my, my man, perhaps, my man, perhaps my I should... Perhaps I should throw the bone to... to yes, yes. Promote, promote your... Come come on our show and promote your, your book. We are we are the, the world of the scene. I, you, will I will throw the bone to, to Dennis. Yes, he, is, and you, he is for our hopeless cases. Oh, yes. Dennis, Dennis. All yeah. Dennis has to do is take his shirt off and, and, and James will be ours. I'm reviewed. Come to yes, us. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would be all the news. Um, quite, quite colorful news. Yeah. From quite a bit. Yeah. Quite a bit this week. And a lot from former guests of the podcast. Yeah. And now I don't feel so bad anymore that we worked with the index in the past. I right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like 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 you said. That's. That that took some balls on their part to to stand up to to Russia and 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 say peace out, you know, like like yeah. we're not gonna we're not gonna comply and and we're gonna leave to do it. That's yeah yeah, yeah. we I salute you, sir, Z and ma'ams. Yeah, that's what be it. So I would say. Let's hey, my term finally finished start, or started rendering. Yeah, I see that. Nice. It, it only took the entire intro just to, to plop that on the screen. <laughs> nice, nice. And then yeah. it got stuck again. Here's just, here's just one thing. Oh, yes. I, I actually checked it out. When you go to yandex.news, you actually redirect it. So they actually shut down the whole news portal they had Ooh, yeah. and put a redirect there like well hey that's uh that's integrity anyway let's jump to rome and yes. talk to the two people well, you'll jump to rome i'm gonna jump to a work 
to call. the shower. I'm gonna take uh-huh. no. I'm gonna I'm gonna be in a work call that'll take all day and Ooh. make my head hurt. Okay. Well. Yesterday, because this is when that happened. <laughs> okay. So, thank you. Bye bye. Yes. Yes. Today we have two guests here, and this time it's actually from Small Things Studio. And that would be Julia Valentini, the lead 2D artist, and Fabrizio Rizzo, the lead game designer and writer of the upcoming Simon's Sorcerer Origin. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Yeah, it's quite interesting. So you are actually from Rome of Small Things Studios, and you got now the license or the pleasure to do the prequel to the original Simon the Sorcerer from 93? Uh, it's quite a strange circumstance. Uh, it's obviously an honor for the both of us and for the entire studios. It was a long operation for us. We had to convince Mike McRudolf, of course, who was actually pretty stunned with our idea. Mm. He loved the idea, he loved the story we started, we showed him something, and he really seemed to like it. He loved the, the story, apparently, uh, but, of course, and most importantly, he loved our 2D art. Julia okay. is responsible for all of this. And... No, we thought he was up short. He wrote the story. He did the hard part. I just <laughs> Yeah, interestingly, if we look back briefly, the game series actually has been pretty troubled. After the, second, after, after the first installment, actually, I've done some research and actually the Sime Sorcerer 2 came out five years delayed on the Amiga because yeah. the market broke down. And, and Sime Sorcerer 3D, which was the third installment, actually had a rewrite from 2D in 3D, at which point it was released the 3D art was already outdated so much that it was, I would say, half of a commercial failure. And, <laughs> and then it went to Germany with a Science of Sorcerer 4, Chaos Happens, and a Science of Sorcerer 5, Who Would Even Want Contact? And both games have had over one year until they released in, in English worldwide. And Actually, the recent update was Simon's Sorcerer 6 Between Worlds that went to an Irish-based company in Dublin and they had a failed release because of troubles with their publisher. So why did you decide to try and go on with such a troubled series of game? We like challenges. <laughs> yes, we like trouble. <laughs> <laughs> the fact is that uh, our boss, Massimiliano Calamai, is a big fan of Simon the Sorcerer and adventures in general. He has something like a giant room full of memorabilia and other stuff. So he approached me one day and said, Hey Fabrizio, you know what would be crazy good? Yeah, Massi, let's make a prequel to Simon the Sorcerer. You, you mean the Simon the Sorcerer from 93? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Also, we felt, okay, it's the right time to see Simon the Sorcerer come back. We did not want to make a sequel because that would be actually a little bit troublesome, in our opinion, just because there were two main points from which we could approach the series. 
we could have made a sign on the saucer six, but that may not be that not feel very good for us. Uh, what about a sign on the saucer three? Uh, let's forget Simon the Sorcerer 3D and make our own Simon the Sorcerer 3D. Yeah, but that's been something like 30 years from the first Simon. Also, that would have felt unfair towards people that work on Simon the Sorcerer 3 and 4 and 5. Exactly. Um, so we said, okay, let's create a new starting point, something that many players around the world, both historical fans and new players, could enjoy. So, a new starting point for the series. Something that could be loved and that can be, that can give emotion to historical fans and something that could be funny, cool for new players alone. And maybe they will fall in love with Simon as well and play the old games. Okay, that would be a win for us. Yeah, that would be a win-win. So may I ask, how did you actually start with with designing video games or going into touch with games at, at all? You both seem too young to have played the Simon Sorcerer as, as kids. Kinda, kinda. I'm from kinda. 95 and she's from 94. Yes, so. we are quite too young, but... We're all them in, on the inside, actually. <laughs> We're all people in young bodies. Uh, yeah, for me, it was the, I fell in love with video games when I was something like three years old. My first video games was uh, uh, Soul Edge from Namco, Namco, yes. And from then on, I kept falling, falling in love with video games. The, I love a lot of video games, many different genres, from Dino Crisis to Halo to Prince of Persia. So from then on, I tried to study game design, writing, and then on a wonderful day in that marvelous year uh, here that was 2020, I met uh, Massimiliano Calamai, a great man, a great leader in my opinion. And from then on, we started to collaborate on the production of a game that is called Redacted. Was that a censorship? Uh, let me try again. I was working on Redacted. Then, moving on. And then Massey said to me, okay, let's try to work on Simon the Sorcerer Origins. Let's try to convince Mike Woodruff and Simon Woodruff. I prepared uh, a small pitch, a small presentation of our idea. Actually, there were different ideas on the table. We studied, I personally studied the series for a long time, for a long time. I replayed both Simon the Sorcerer 1 and 2 in particular. In my opinion, Simon the Sorcerer 1 is the better one. I might be controversial, but I just fell in love with the first one. We proposed Simon the Sorcerer, Mike Woodruff liked, and we are here now. In the first months of development, we were both far away from our yes, we, office. We worked uh, from home to, during all of 2020 and 2021. Due to reason, as you can explain. As we yes, explain. So we were pretty far, like we hadn't interacted until three months ago? Two months ago. Two months ago. Two months ago. Yeah. But somehow we made it work. Kind of. that, that's not very encouraging. No, I mean, there were ups and downs in the production, of course, being far away. As from always, we have the development. Working from home. But we worked really eventually, and 
I had worked with Massimiliano uh, before on other projects, and I was called back to work on, her, on Simon when we started, and I did the pitch, and then we started the pre-production program. Yeah. Okay. Since you are the 2D lead artist, let me ask you a question, and I guess you can already guess what the questions will be. Because in your trailer, you actually had it started with a text saying, Attention, game content shown in this video does not represent the final visual quality. Yes, What's that's about that? The animations, especially were placeholders. They were not the final animations, and we, were, we wanted to deliver a teaser trailer, not a trailer. So it had to be a few seconds long. But they wanted to, us, the publisher wanted us to make a longer Due to trailer. production reason, we had to make a longer version of the trailer. Yeah. But that is nowhere near yes, a full we, trailer. We didn't have animations at the time. We didn't have full uh, VFX. We didn't have, even the backgrounds weren't actually finished. Interesting. That I was mean, like 5% yes, of the final product. Yeah, it's completely different. Wow. Yeah, it's way better. You probably, I don't know if you followed what, what happened around you, I guess you do, as you work in the industry, but there has been some backlash earlier this year for two games. One was Return to Monkey Island. People were devastated by the graphic style of, of David um, uh, Gossman and recently Need for Speed Unbound going manga style. People yeah. were like, ah, that's awful. And EA actually, actually tried to cool down the situation by saying, yeah, you can disable it in the graphic options. And despite you wrote this attention text in your trailer at the beginning, there was still some backlash by well, saying, wow, this graphic style, I really hope they improve the animation. The animations are definitely improved. They're completely, they've been completely redone and improved. As again, those were placeholders. Uh, the graphic is that uh, that you saw in the trailer. This is trailer. The art style is. The art style is that one. And I went for that route for a specific reason. I tried different styles. I tried different approaches to Simon, but ultimately I wanted something that could again be both appealing to all fans if they care to explore something new that. Mm -hmm pixel art style, uh, but also appealing, they could, they could appeal to new fans and new audiences, the ones that grew up with Saturday morning cartoons and Disney Channel and 2D animated movies that we all love, and we wanted to go a bit in that direction. Also, we, had, uh, we thought about that and we saw that nearly every single installment of the series had a different st art style. Even from uh, Simon the Sorcerer 1 and Simon the Sorcerer 2, there were many differences. Then came out Simon the Sorcerer 3D, Simon the Sorcerer 4. Every single, nearly, every single Simon the Sorcerer had a different art style. So we said, okay, let's do our thing. Um, so, so let me ask you, how was to approach exactly, let's take another game, for example. For example, when... Um, when the the next Larry installment, Wet Wet Dreams Don't Try Twice, when that was released in 2020, 
Oh no, that was 2019, sorry. I actually had an interview with the creators from Crazy Bunch and they actually told me that they that they copied the missing frames animation style of the original game in their installment and it even Simon's a sorcerer didn't have such fluent animations at some at some points especially on the Amiga you had like loading interruptions and even back then the CD talkie version wasn't so fluent so did you try to to copy the imperfections of the animations of the earlier games or did you threw that all in the basket in the bin and say no i want to do something totally different oh, here we of course the animations we try to make them as fluid as possible within our means and means of the consoles and stuff the it might be a little overachieving to say but we were inspired by the old and black movies especially the game the Lost it on the tip of the tongue. Oh my god, I forgot. I totally <laughs> forgot the name. Oh my, oh god, my god, what a bad designer I am. I mean, oh you can god. Google it. It's not live. Dragon Slayer. Dragon Slayer. Thank god. I remember Dragon, so I didn't remember Slayer. Like, what? What, a, what a bunch of bad developers we are. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, we. I personally imagined something like that. I don't know how close to that we are at this point in development and of course it's a different kind of game but we have so many different animations custom animations for all kinds of situations Simon's finding something so we hope it's gonna be fun not just to play but also to look at so from what I gather you would have preferred if you had the trailer to be released at a different point of time where you have been yes, we are still not sure when the actual trailer will come out but we are going to release a real trailer origins. With, without an attention warning text it reminded me a bit of double tracking manual of the commodore 64 version where the developer apologized for the technical limitations because of the inability of the coders to make it better <laughs> so like, wow okay <laughs> so, like, wow i have seen that before <laughs> yeah i see the pressure is big of course you want to release the game next year when it's a good moment and and now is that so many other adventure games came out uh, for example unusual findings from argentina which just won point-and-click adventure game of the month award. So the competition for 2023 will be big, I guess, now that Ron Gilbert and David Fox and all these others released their games. Yeah. yeah. So, of course, that's quite a thing. Now let me ask you, as Fabrizio, you are the game designer and writer, one backslash of the Simon Sorcerer 4 and 5 games that were done in Berlin, Germany, was that we Germans didn't really grasp the British humor that the first three games yeah. had. Do you think you Italians will make it better than us Germans? <laughs> well, this is not a competition, actually. What I can say is that uh, I and Massimiliano too studied closely and carefully the first time in the software. There's 
a lot of the regional humor, I can assure that. We studied very closely those chapters. We fell in love with them again and again. We studied that kind of humor every single time we played and replayed the first games. The thing that I should not say is that there are a lot of fourth world breaking points, which were a great point of that first chapter humor and something that Mike Woodruff told us again and again, guys, make sure there are fourth world breaking points. Yeah, this accent, this bad, really bad. Specific voice. Yes, this same specific voice, I can show that. And of course, we are looking at this, uh, at the writing, the comedy part of the adventure very closely. And uh, we'll soon start a QA session. The game is at a good state right now. So we soon will soon be able to completely play the game from start to finish. And so we'll check again and again every single text, every single line of the game. And I can assure there are lots of lines in this game. <laughs> like a lot. Like Fabrizio could not sleep for something like three months straight. That just because bad, like not overworked. No, not like that. <laughs> just because I tend to go to sleep and then I get up about two in the morning, write new stuff, then go back oh, to sleep, kind of then wake up again, then write new stuff just because I was like that. And again, even in the comedy part, one thing that I really like a lot with our team is the fact that, yeah, I'm the writer, I'm the designer, but a lot of cool ideas, a lot of funny ideas came out from our animation department. Our, even our programmers uh, up there in Gorizia, in uh, our second studio, gave us some great idea, some great comedy moment. So, yes, I'm pretty confident that we will be able to give the fans back that same feeling. And we will work very hard to give that feeling back. Also, I love British humor. One of my favorite comedians is John Oliver, who is British. Okay, okay. That's also, Oliver, if you are out there, hello, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> that's interesting. There are also a couple of Easter eggs that will... People will like yeah, there are, there are more than a couple of history. Yeah, <laughs> more, much more than a couple. I'm wondering, I'm wondering will be the original voice, voice actor, actor Chris Barry be part of it again? What can I say if not redacted? I should say that this particular uh, topic is redacted. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah, it's still very, very reductive. Okay, let's <laughs> see how it happens. I guess none of the jokes, however, that you have put in the new games would involve a hamster and a microwave, right? Yeah, the game is still very much under development. We will have time to put some new jokes here and there. Yeah, David Fox really made a name out of himself by this joke. I maybe just put a rubber chicken in there. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, you, Julia, you mentioned at the beginning that you try to make the game appealable to new gamers that haven't played the originals. How did you go about it to neither disappoint the old people like me <laughs> and the new players? 
with the new design, the new style from Simon, of course, not everyone will like it. And it's okay. Everyone has their tastes. I wanted to do something more modern, more similar to what you could see in TV today or on any streaming channel. Something fresh and with a Disney-ish appeal to it. It gives Simon some more character. We wanted to really bring this inside world out with this kid that doesn't really know what to do with his life or with whatever is being put in. But yes, his ways. And we wanted to depict that such a child that's clever, witty, but also still a child. Not just a spoiled brat. Yes. Yeah, that's actually interesting that you mention it because in the originals, if, if I remember correctly, he was 13. So yes. now that you are... That he now is that you are he, he was 12. 12, okay. Uh, even the writing, like, no offense to anyone, of course, was a little bit junky because in uh, many documents, manuals, and <coughs> it's stated that Simon is 12 years old. We, of course, took that in consideration. Our Simon is nearly 12 years old. He is a little bit younger. But uh, in one specific part of Simon the Sorcerer 1, he himself states that he is 15 years old. So it's a bit contradictory, but taking into consideration that we are talking about Simon, he's probably lying because he's Simon and he lies a lot. <laughs> yeah, just... Started to knew very well Simon. He's like a, a little cousin who tends to be policy and the, 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 the kid that you just want to kill in many horrible ways, but you also love him. <laughs> yeah, Simon is, is a little bit younger, he's 11 years old in our game, and we took that in consideration as a starting point. Simon the Sorcerer in the first game is 12 years old. Uh, many different versions of the story. But every single manual that I, that I read stated that he was 12 years old and he received Chitty as a strange gift for his birthday. So I guess the first task for both of you was, before you started working on the game, playing all the five predecessors before you started yours. From the Sam Sorcerer 1 to Sam Sorcerer 5. First you played. <laughs> I played Simon the Sorcerer 1, and I'm not joking, about 10 times. Wow. Okay. In the past year or so, I play, I replayed three times Simon the Sorcerer 2, and it was a little bit harder to replay the, um, the last installments in the series because of reasons. The first one was to actually be able to play that in Speaking about time, we do not have much time to play as developers. Something that is very true and many people forget is the fact that when you create games, you do not have time to play games, actually. <laughs> so yeah, we replay and rewatch, especially me and Massimiliano, and especially we replay and rewatch a lot of times Simon the Sorcerer 1, which was our biggest reference for these people. We wanted to create the best connection possible. We want to create a key that fits perfectly in the whole that is the entire Simon saga. 
and especially uh, Simon de Saussure. Because many people do not realize that there are a lot of questions in the Simon, in Simon de Saussure. Why Simon? Why did Calypso, how did Calypso know Simon? Uh, why Chippy? What, where, that, where did that book came out? Who was actually Simon? Was he predestined? Was he just a lucky kid? Uh, who was sordid? Who was Calypso? How does the magic world actually work? Mm. Okay. These kind of questions are something that we took in consideration while writing and developing Simon the Sorcerer Origins. Interesting that you don't mention Simon Sorcerer 3D. Is it because of the art style or...? No, 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 not that. The fact is that you can clearly see separation from, at least in my opinion, from Simon the Sorcerer 3D and Simon the Sorcerer 2. So yeah, we took that in consideration. We, of course, as every single chapter of this series, but our main inspiration was Simon the Sorcerer 2 and especially a lot Sam the Saucer 1. That's just that. We, of course, took in consideration, we are trying to create something that fits very well with the entire saga. We, of course, uh, are respecting the work of every single developer who worked on this series, be it German, be it uh, English, Austrian, or from every single part of the world. We love this series. We love every single game, even the ones that many people did not really. Because we like Simon. We love Simon. We love every single memory that he gave us, that this saga gave us. And this opportunity is fantastic for us. So yeah, we are taking every single aspect of this series into consideration, but we are giving, how can I say, a special place for the first game in the series. I have to admit, I never finished Time Sorcerer 3D because there was a part where you had to catch butterflies and that was so exhausting and repetitive that yeah. I gave up and I said, forget about it. I will not finish this game. I actually downloaded it last week on a good old games, GOG, to prepare for this interview and I decided to buy a safe game where the game was safe at this point, so I will continue it afterwards. So I hope that your installment of some Sorcerer Origins will not have such riddles that make you want to hit the monitor or throw the mouse against the wall or something or the controller. Oh, come on, sir. We are not making Dark Souls here. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not that kind super, of game. Super, super exhausting at some point. Yeah, it can, it can feel that way with some adventure, especially with some older adventures. We are really looking for every single part of the game, of our puzzles, that can be frustrating or not at the same level or many great puzzles in this series. As I said before, we are starting the QA, a QA session, a complete QA session. We have had uh, many different smaller QA sections during development up, uh, up until this point, but um, near future, we'll be able to play a kind of a full version of the game, or beta, I might say. We are nearly there. The QA section will start soon. And we will take months to work again and again on our puzzles. 
as you may know, uh, QA stands for quality surgeons. Sure. So yeah, we do not want to make something frustrating. We want to make something challenging, but not frustrating. Something that can that does not need a solution to be completed, but something that can be uh, rightfully challenging, I might say. Challenging in the right way. Something in which the solution is both logical and fun, of course. The fun part is the most important fun in this series. The comedic part, the strange, gimmicky uh, solution of Simon. And here and there are a couple of news about the gameplay side of Simon. But I will stop there. I will not spoil a single thing about <laughs> this game. Good. That's good. Not a single puzzle mechanic will come out of this Italian mouth. Uh, but you could do something what, which a lot of recent action and adventure games did, and that was a casual mode and a adventure nerd mode or something. We do not have that separation. Okay. We went for a more classical way, I might say. We wanted to create an experience that can be fully enjoyed by the player. In the puzzle part, in the tax part, in the lines part, and the plot part and so on, the art part. We did not want to make this separation. We did not want to, to create a two different kinds of, of experiences. We want to create a full experience that every single player can enjoy, every single adventure player may, may enjoy. <laughs> but yeah, we did not went for that route. We wanted to create something, something unique, I must say. Have you played Simon's Lost with 3D, actually? Or at least briefly? Very briefly, a long time ago, two years ago. <laughs> okay, two years is not really that much compared to when I played it in 2003 or something. But I remember actually the press back then, they criticized the game a lot for having too much dialogue. And you are constantly reading stuff and they are talking nonsense and so on. I guess that's, that's also a risk in an adventure game that there has to be the right mixture between interaction and story being told. Interaction for you as a gamer to interact with the game. Also solving riddles, but not being too much of a novel where you constantly have cover characters talking all the time. Yeah, on that point, a great part in developing a game in general is to find the right balance of the experience. Not just on the difficult parts, but on the components of adventure. From the art component, the aesthetic in general, the history of the game, so every single thing that involves dialogues, text, uh, and so on, and the interactive parts, so puzzles, riddles, new mechanics and so on. So yeah, we took that in consideration. Finding where, how much is too much is the difficult part of every single development session for every single game in history of gaming. <laughs> yeah, we will take that in consideration. There are a lot of texts, in my opinion, rightfully so, because we are actually creating an adventure games. So yeah, there are dialogues. There are little parts that players, I think players will love to examine, find curiosities, easter eggs, and so on. Mm, but yeah, sometimes the presence of a lot of text, especially in older games, was due to limited constraints. 
Um, maybe you could not create a, a great room full of details, so you had like, the character describing that to you. Thanks to our apartment and to our, I would say, medical cure for detail, <laughs> we put a lot of details that players will be able to find and enjoy, maybe, just by looking closely at the rooms. There's going to be a lot of pixel finding also, I think. Yeah, a lot, but not one thing that I tended to hate, along with many older players, is the pixel finding of older adventures, where you have to find that little tiny bitty bitty pixel in the room where, uh, oh. and the entire solution of the puzzle revolved around that single tiny pixel. We have two um, good points about this. First, we're making this game in 4K. 4K. So uh, making a single pixel be important would be very hard. <laughs> and when you have to find something, you will see it before clicking on it, most likely. Yeah, you... Depends if you look all, closely. Yeah. How close will you look? I, I mean, how I mean, much I mean, attention will you, play, will you pay? I mean, that I mean, was that also was sometimes also because of limitations, of technical limitations. Yeah. I, I don't know if you both played uh, Zack McCracken. No, you didn't? I did not. Okay. In the first scene, you had a refrigerator, and there was an egg in the refrigerator. And on the NES and the Commodore 64, you could barely see the egg. Because oh. of the graphic limitation, it was just a couple of pixel that was a square, and because you couldn't make it round and looking like a real act, that's yeah. I that's, can see how yes, that could yes. be Luckily, frustrating. We don't yeah. have that problem here. Yeah, that, that is not a problem for us, no. I would say. Of course, you will have to look closely and to explore our locations, uh, which is a lot of. But there will not be a situation. Or there might be, I might lie. Uh, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? You wrote the game, you have to say. Did I? <laughs> so, Julia, let me ask you, now that we are playing a prequel here, there will probably many scenes and locations that we know <clears throat> from the first two Sam's the Sorcerers. How did you go to make this pixelated locations? rebranded into your graphic style. How did you go with it? We, we didn't have many locations that are exactly those of the first Okay. Game. okay. Am I correct? Uh, can we say that? I don't know. <laughs> so we'll go adapted there. Adapted. There will be a lot of surprises for the game. No, no, the, the reason I'm asking, let me explain to you here, is that many people nowadays especially people that are 20-something old, they assume that games were always pixelated, which is why they call them pixel games, pixel graphics. You make them pixel by pixel. But a large point is actually caused by the, by the technology of yes. imaging yes. from CRTs. And, um, and those masks, they didn't have fine resolution, so everything was blurry, and it yes. didn't look pixelated back then. Yes, I actually, yes, I had a chance to see the difference between a pix uh, pixel art game looked at a screen, on a flat screen, and looked on an old-time screen, and the difference is 
this <laughs> but yes we for the style without going too much serious because it's again redacted i personally took a lot of inspiration from the original locations in terms of design in terms of colors and the general mood of the style and brought it to a different style different level again we didn't we Nothing we could have ever done would have looked remotely similar to the original games. Simply enough because of the limitation we were talking about. So even if we try to recreate the same exact style, but not in pixel art, it wouldn't have looked the same, it wouldn't have looked right. So we went in a completely different direction. But we still kept the same feeling of the original, same mood, the same vibe. Simon is still there. The yes. magic word is still there. It's still yes. fun, it's still comical. I can assure still... you this, the magic word will be very recognizable. Yeah. You've seen that in the few pictures that are... That we could release, actually. That we could release, yes. There are more of them, there are more of them from where they came from, and there will be more, more of, them. of them in the near future. Those, um, those are a minimal, really yeah, minimal part. You of actually them. talked about a really good point there, something that is very important for us, for the people to understand, actually. Many different games from the years, from the 90s, the 80s, did not choose pixel art. They had to go that way. The only thing that they had. And on that point, I must say that I saw, I read a lot of comments that actually stated that, yeah, many of them said, yeah, the guys from Small Things went in this direction, but that is not bad. And they did not choose pixel art because it was, they wanted to be different just because we want to make something that could be on par from our, for our ages. Where in 2022 the games will be out, the game will be out in uh, 2023. We want to make something that can look pretty uh, cool, comical, and that can actually work here and now. Also, we have many different ta talented artists in our team, so we wanted to fully uh, use their capabilities. Also, we had an advantage, as I said before. The saga did not have a choose art style. We have Simon the Sorcerer 2D. We have that kind of cartoonish 3D style. We have Simon the Sorcerer 4 and 5 that shows a more uh, 3D standard type with a little bit, uh, little bit of cartoony style. We have Simon the Sorcerer 1 who went full pixel. And Simon the Sorcerer 2 who went full pixel but had a different art style in the um, character design, yeah. So we said, okay, since every single one chose its own art style, we'll, yeah, we are going to do the same. And we will make sure that historical fans will love it because they will find Simon, they will find the original Simon. Maybe even more than the original Simon. Yeah, they will be able to explore a little bit more about this character, about this kid. Uh, about his behavior and about his story. And the new fans will find uh, an art style that is on par with what we can see in, on the market. That is not to say that we just chose to, hey, just go with the cool art style that can sell. No, no, no. 
this is a passion project first, first and foremost. When Massi approached me, Massimiliano approached me to, to make sign on the software origins, he had um, that kind of whimsical, childly, childish look in his eyes that he had most of the time when we talk about Simon and about our passion project. Also, how passionate can we, can, can Italians be? We have no chill. Yeah, yeah we, we, have have no, no we, chill. we basically have no chill. And again, if I can say so myself, my Woodruff did really like the new Simon. Simon Woodruff just said a couple of months ago that he wanted to get a tattoo of our Simon. Oh, nice, oh, nice. nice. If he ever yeah, does, let me know. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, here's the thing. There, there were always, always different kind of approaching adventure games. There was this Sierra kind of approaching where you could constantly die if you make something wrong. Then you had the Ron Gilbert approach. This Monkey Island, Sam Sorcerer, Monkey Island, Maniac Mansion, Zack McCracken, where you would be warned that something could kill you, and if you really try over and over again, you would die, eventually. And in, in Simon Sorcerer games, if I remember, there was not, never a situation where you would run into a dead end or where you would die. There was in the first Simon the Sorcerer, during the final battle against uh, Odid, a little bit of a Gilbert approach. You will encore into a game over, and Simon will come back in a comical way, in a fourth world breaking way, kinda. And that was pretty funny, in my opinion. I will not sell anything about this to you. Okay. Okay. You will have to wait 2023, my friend. Play the game. Uh, yeah, play the game, of course. Interesting. Or just watch the world through on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I play yeah, but we don't have time to play games, so we won't lose. Do we have actual, uh, an actual life beyond this YouTube? You know that I love being a developer. <laughs> no, we are joking. We, of course, have time. We are not in crunch time. We just love our job so much. There's a, there are a lot of good vibes in this studio. Yes. You are saying it's a passion project for both of you, but at some point, the hardcore gamer fans of the originals, they expect the new... Exam Source for Origin to be the phoenix that is rising from the ashes at some point. So oh. the burden is big on you at this point. Yes. As we said before, we love challenges. Uh, interesting, yeah. So when do you actually plan to release the game next year? Is there any rough release dates? First time. Look at my lips. Redacted. Ah. Okay, is it like... Now, seriously speaking, yeah. we are thinking about the first trimester of 2023, but what we want from the bottom of our hearts is to make the best Simon possible. Take whatever you want from this sentence. So, so it's like back in the day for, for Duke Nukem Forever, when it's done, right? Yeah, yes. <laughs> we'll come out when it's done. But we will not take eight years to make it. <laughs> no. yeah. Yeah. We'll make the best Simon possible for this studio. For this studio. We'll do our best we can. Yeah, we'll do our best. So what's the platforms you are aiming for? Switch, Ooh. PC? Uh... Switch, PC, PS, both. Yeah, every single one of them. We are, I think we are talking here about a 
a Linux release. Okay. Um, yeah, we want to reach as many players as possible. We want you to be able to lead this adventure in every single way you want, on every single platform. For example, I have a cousin who is a historical fan of Simon, who is constantly writing to me about Simon and asking me questions to, to which I, could, I cannot respond. He used to be a PC gamer, now he's a PS gamer. And yeah, why should he not be able to play Simon? We are creating an experience that can work on every single platform. We are facing new challenges every day, but every single day, Simon is getting better and better, closer and closer to its final shape. And it will work and it will be great, I think. Your advantage is you are not developing for retro systems where you would have limitations in memory or... Yes. Yeah, exactly. and we are talking about a game uh, with, that has something like 20 gigs of graphics. We're about 20 gigs. Of graphics. For an adventure game. Yeah, for a 2D adventure game. I, I, I remember too. Yeah, it, it's a big game. It's a big large game. game. It's a, on the quality part of the aesthetic and the graphics and content, we are talking about a big adventure game. Uh, still an, an adventure game. We are not talking about the next God of War Ragnarok, of course. We are talking about an adventure game, but it will be a big game on the most modern console. We are talking about PS5 and Xbox Series X, of course. Switch. We are Switch uh, too. yes, Switch too. And I was talking just I was just about talking about that. We are optimizing the experience to be fully enjoyable on a Nintendo Switch. Fun story: every single member of the staff received a Nintendo Switch. As just coming gift. Yeah, as a welcoming gift. And so we'll probably play for the first time after the release and the saucer on a Switch, actually. I'm, I think I will buy Sam Saucer like four to five times just to have it on every single system I own. Yeah, we are creating an experience that can run as good as possible on every single platform, both new platform and most powerful platform, and smaller, not that capable platform such as Switch, for example. The Switch can handle well your graphic style and so on. I guess that shouldn't be an issue. What was the issue when the Switch originally was released was that the game card didn't hold so much gigabytes. So you actually would have to download half of the game from the internet. But now that after a few years they released bigger game cards, you can actually... You can actually play the whole game from the game card. There is a there is a classical example that would be Telltale games. When the original Telltale games went defunct, games like like Minecraft the story that only had half of of the game of the later chapters episodes on the CD or DVD or game card, you can't complete the game anymore. And it would be bad to have, uh, after the servers are shut down, for whatever reason, you can only finish half of the Sime Sorcerer Origin on, on, the, on the Switch. No, we, no, that will problem. not happen. No. <laughs> no, of course not. Uh, also, there are different problems uh, on the Switch. Not problems, situation, I might say. 
we are not just talking about the fact uh, a memory parts of the game we are talking about the process capabilities and so on some software origins is a demanding game for the nintendo systems but it will run smoothly and we are constantly working on that version constantly working on fixing every single technical issue that may appear and when we'll take a look uh, at the game during our full uh, QA session, which will start very soon, the game is actually can actually be played. We are just waiting for a, a more polished version to start our QA session. Our guys up in Gorizia are working every single day to fix every single issue that appears, to implement every single aspect of the game, every single art component, every single animation, every single day. And yeah, we will make sure that the game will run smoothly and that the game will be fully polished and complete for its release, actually. Let me ask you a perhaps far-fetched question, but would there be perhaps a boxed version, a physical version of the game? Redacted. Redacted. Okay. We soon learn more about Sam and the Sorcerer Origin. We cannot wait. I will. I would love just to stay here for three hours talk talking about, about this game. Yeah, true. It's like I mean, when. Honestly, when I made this inquiry for the interview, most publishers tell me we do the interview after the game is released. If you saw the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge or our other uh, interviews about Project Car 3 and so on, all those game interviews were all done when the game was already released. And yeah, I can so understand. We are teasing a lot. Yeah, we are teasing a lot. That's a, there's a good reason for that. And you'll soon discover it. I can say that. We are working every single day. We will soon show something very good but we will show it when it's ready of course the reason actually why i'm asking this is because the last game in the series simon's sorcerer 5 the english global version was never released physical they only released it as a digital download which of course didn't occur to me because i'm german over here in Germany, we only got the German version, so I have the physical version of all the games. But if you don't speak German for whatever yeah. reason, you you were left out and only had a digital release. Yeah, I can see that. That that kind of stuff did not stop Kalamai from buying a full German version of that game just to have the physical copy. And... Yeah, Mass is that way, and he loved to have physical copies. Me too. I, I, I love to own a physical copy. We are big fans of physical copies here. Yeah. We're just going to say that. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Especially since these other publishers like EA started to only release a physical version in a way that you get a Steam code in a DVD. Um, that sad. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of sad, actually. And, and um, you would have a physical version of Flight Simulator 2020. That was actually a surprise. They had six DVDs. They are both extremes in a way. Yeah, there are, uh, yeah, there are extremes in both ways. Yes. As Julia said before, we can say this. We of, of, course, of, course, of, yeah. of our games. 
I just wanted to explain why I asked about it because, yeah. as I said, the, the non-German speaking players were a bit left out. The last Simon Sorcerer installment, Simon Sorcerer 5, who would even want contact was like cheap ass translation release or whatever at least it felt like that oh, okay we have to do it but we yeah. don't really care about the just result. because you have to do that <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah i wonder nowadays in 2022 if you even still have to release a game in half a dozen languages do have adventure games nowadays to be released in spanish german italian english russian whatever is that even necessary? Even we are doing this interview now in English. Uh, to release a game in uh, many different languages is a cost for a publisher, for a studio. That cost must be sustainable. So you have to find that thing actually needs to be there. In the case of Simon the Sorcerer Origins, for example, there's that reason. But most importantly, there's a reason behind the identity of Simon. For example, here in Italy, the first time the Sorcerer were in English with subtitles in Italian. And I always loved that because I could feel, since I was like 15 years old when I first played Sam the Sorcerer, the first one, I could feel that the, the Englishness, <laughs> okay, okay. the Britishness the behind Britishness. the game. Yeah, um, exactly. uh, it's yeah we, we have to take in, into consideration as developers also the historical nature behind that behind the game of course games such as mass effects who were big games who, that were released in many different languages the first installment in the series uh, chose a different approach the game was in english with subtitles in many different languages many players did not love it but on the contrary they were not afflicted when the last Dragon Age Inquisition was released and it was a fully English game uh, with subtitles. Uh, we have to take that in consideration. So there's... Oh, yeah. Uh, we have... So, yeah, we have to take into consideration um, the economic part, of course, as many industries, as many studios, but also the emotional part for our players. As developers in general, we have to take that into consideration. We have to take the fact that uh, a saga is well-loved and is known for being in a multi-language game. We have to take in, into consideration the fact that maybe the saga is known to be a subtitled saga. There's not a definitely, definitely correct or wrong answer in that point. And what can I give is a fully entire personal opinion. I think that when possible, a game should always be released in as many languages as possible, just because even subtitles can be a barrier for a couple of players. We could just see as bigger examples, such as Mass Effect Andromeda, Andromeda that game received a big backlash due to translation and dubbing issues. Uh, but that is not to say that every single game really needs uh, a, a fully multi-language approach. Mm. For example, even if Simon would be released with an Italian dubbing, I would still choose an English dub. But that's just me and that's just a personal approach to the saga. Just because for me, Simon is that really little English guy who talks funny and makes 
bad puns and jokes. And also that they wouldn't translate well into Italian. Yeah, also many different jokes do not translate very well to Italian, I guess. Uh, maybe it's the same uh, for the German version, but I cannot say that. <laughs> the thing is, now that I'm fluent in English as an adult, I rediscover the game that I played as a child in English and I find the English original so much better in many cases. If it may be, if it may be a Simon Sorcerer or The Simpsons or whatever. And you don't even have to go so much back for good examples. Just in October, for example, the, the game Unusual Findings was released by an Arge Argentinian game development team. And the game was only released with subtitles in many languages and with a voice acting in Russian and in English. And in English, they didn't make the difference between closed doors and locked doors, well, which kind oh. of breaks the game experience. Because you have a closed door that is locked, but the game As the game says, the, the door is closed, you wonder why you can't open it. Yeah, it should say the door is locked, so you need a key and to unlock it. But somehow in the translation between Spanish and English, this got lost in a way. And Yeah, the, the typical lost in translation yeah, situation. Exactly, exactly. And this can be poison for an adventure game where you simply can't really, with common sense, solve a puzzle because they translated it wrong <clears throat> so that's also a big issue right yes yeah it is, it is. Yeah. we are actually writing the game in italian for the moment just because our team is fully made up of italian members so it is way easier for us to check for errors and to better understand every single aspect of the story of the puzzles but we will take an especially closer look to the English translation, of course, since that will be pro that will probably will uh, will be the base for every single translation of the game, uh, as for many other games in our sector. So yeah, for the moment we are writing in Italy, in Italian, but we will take we will pay a lot of attention to the translation, of course, because of the fact that we are talking about an adventure. I think that nothing is more frustrating than getting that being stuck in the same puzzle for 12 hours just because a guy did not translate yes. uh, closed and locked in a different way. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's strange. I never really considered that this might be a translation error. But I guess also compared to the later Sun Sorcerer games, you probably will be releasing all language versions on the same time and not a year later. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we probably will release the game in every single language supported, as we said, maybe even on our Steam page. I, I think on the Steam page it says yeah, the language we're going to support. Yeah, uh, but yeah, of course, on the launch, players will be able to play the game in every single language that is supported. We will not have a separate release for a different language, to my knowledge, and up until this point I can say that. So where can people find about where can people find out about the game? Uh, we have a Steam page dedicated to Simon the Sorcerer. You can follow our Twitter account, Small Film Studios. You can follow the Interactive, which is our play uh, our publisher, in the they have a website and also a Twitter account. 
We're a Facebook page. Facebook page. Also Small Team Studios. Yeah, uh, we have a website, of course, smallteamstudios.com. We have a full page dedicated to Simon the Sorcerer. And soon you will be able to learn more and more about Simon the Sorcerer. I simply cannot wait to share more details to our players without sharing too much. We are still talking about an adventure full of surprises, full of secrets, full of stories. But I don't know if you've seen, checked out our pages already, but there are quite a little, a lot of little things already up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For viewers, pleasure. So. Yeah, for real players. Also, our Steam description uh, might have been written by Simon himself. I tried, I really tried to keep him away from the keyboard, but that guy keep on slipping from my hands. I you know <laughs> how the writers are with their characters. No, you know how kids are. Simon is that kind of kid. Yeah, he just chose to write the description himself and to uh, add a little bit of his spirit to the description of the page and to his story in the description. That kid is a marvelous yet a difficult kid, I may it's say. A menace. He's a menace. He's like Danny the Menace. <laughs> I'm very thankful that you gave me the op opportunity to ask questions before the game has been even released. And that's really an honored possibility to ask you to. And so thanks again for taking the time. Thank you. We weren't there for the original release of the first game. It made it, uh, we made it ours in yeah. some way. So we, way, yes. we are very passionate about it. When you come back in 2023, when the game is released, Messi actually wanted to join. I hope that's working out so we can talk to all three of you. That would be great. I'll make sure of that, I promise. Rightfully, we are new developers. We are Italian developers that are talking about a British, game. Yeah, British, a British IP, British humor, British IP, historical British IP. And yeah, we can clearly understand if some people are a little bit iffy on the subject. Personally, I don't mind at all. I never, I've never been raised in a way that my parents said, be careful about the Italians, they are this or that, or the Poland, Polish people steal cars or whatever. I was never, I was never raised with stereotypes or prejudgment towards any group of people or any society. But I'm aware that the original, the original Simon the Sorcerer 4 and 5 releases, they were, well, backlash because we Germans are told to have no sense of humor. Ah, oh, come on. Uh, yeah. That's not, uh, like, ah, not true at all. Yeah, I don't know. So, ah, oh, this game is made in Berlin, so it must be. Such silly stereotypes. Ron <laughs> Gilbert himself, the big game, um, the big man himself, he calls himself. The Grumpy Gamer. <laughs> He's a little bit of a grumpy gamer, according yeah. to his Twitter account. Uh, <laughs> He's also a, a great developer, a great director. Yeah. We actually enjoyed uh, quite a lot to Monkey Island. We have a little bit of a contrast point in terms of judgment, I might say, judgment. Uh, not judgment, opinion of the, of the game here in the studio. Uh, Julia has a different op opinion from mine. I have a different different opinion from Massimiliano and so on. Every single one of us have a different opinion on uh, Return to Monkey Island. But in general, every single member of the staff loved the game and was really happy with the return of both Ron Gilbert 
and of course Monty Allen and Guybrush Thurgood. You actually both, you actually should play the C64 version of Monkey of Maniac Mansion and Zack McCracken. Especially because Maniac Mansion is such a wild meteor alien tentacle story. And uh, uh, the successor, Zack McCracken, is just as wild. Yeah, I know. It's in my backlog. I have to play the game. I have I had the opportunity to play actually the Secret of Monkey Island, the entire Monkey Island series, of course. Recently, I played uh, Return to Monkey Island as every single member of this of the staff. Also, we played on the Switch. We played the Switch version to yeah. the geek uh, that the studio gave to us. Yeah, I have many different adventure games, such as Manic Mansion, the, to play. Uh, I hope I will have the time to play them in the near future. Unfortunately, we do not have the time. Not because we are in crunch time, of course, not, nothing like that. It's just that we spend uh, every single day developing the game. We have to, but we also have a life to, <laughs> to carry on. We have to do, we have to cook, we have to clean our houses. Sure. Uh, just a regular life to... <laughs> it all looks right. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> also, we have to, to carry on with our singular interests. So, so, for example, Julia is an avid D&D player. I'm a Warhammer player. Also, we are uh, gamers. We, of course, like video games. Uh, so we have to find the right spot for the right game at the right moment. One thing I might say is that uh, in the recent time, I've been playing a lot of beat-em-ups game. For example, I played Shredder's Revenge. Quite, oh, a fun okay. Quite a funny game, actually. Quite a funny game. I saw that you have one episode about Shredder's Revenge. Yes, in yes. That, was actually, that was actually the one I suggested to you because Leonardo Interactive asked me, like, how much hours do you need and do you have a question catalog? And I was like, none, none of either. I was like, we are just making conversations. Yeah, I, one of the, the reasons because I love podcasts is that this kind of approach. Okay. Nothing is set up from the start. You just have to have a good chat with a friend. Be a friend. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, we are already connected on, on, <laughs> on LinkedIn. Actually, Julia, Julia, you have been first. You, you were the first who contacted me, uh, who, who sent me a connection request and, uh, on, on LinkedIn. I was like, oh, wow, really? she's quick. Like... 10 minutes after you emailed to me, I was like, wow, they are really going uh, fast here. In this, uh, in this studio. We are very quick. Yes, we are on the Yeah, we are on the spot. Yeah, but yeah. The, the problem is sometimes that, that young designers or graphic artists or so on, like yourself, they often have no idea about the history of the game. And then, of course, it's a bit hard to take the retro approach and ask them about the new game compared to the old game if they don't know the old game. <laughs> so that was a bit difficult. We could not pay justice or homage to the series itself if we did not study every single game of the side, of course. True. So yeah, we had to study. Also, our boss, Massimiliano Calamai, is a big retro gamer. He has been playing these games since they came out. For example, he was a great fan of Sam the Sorcerer. Uh, probably the main reason 
of this whole operation is just because you want a, a yes. new Simon the Sorcerer game. Yes. <laughs> but of course, we have to study. As a designer, I know that we cannot stop studying every single aspect of a Warrenus game. New games, older games, current, current games, we have to study every single aspect. We have to know more and more games. We just have to know that. And not just that. We have to take in consideration more and more media possible. Television shows, films, podcasts, documentaries, comics, sculptures, architecture. I'm a big fan of architectures for my level design part of my job. I take a lot of inspiration from architecture book. Even minor things, for example, very specific kind of books, fables, or very specific kinds of shows, for example, uh, for Simon, a big inspiration were 90s teen movies for me, which were the movies with, with which I grew up, 80s, 90s teen movies, I may say. But yeah, we have to study every single aspect of our media and about many, as many media as possible. One thing that Massimiliano always say to us is that he wants a, a team full of curious people. We want people that talk. We want people with different uh, hobbies, with different approaches, with different interests. As I said before, Julia is a big D&D player. How does this work with our uh, comprehension of, the, of our job, of our industry? I'm a big fan of uh, tabletop wargaming. I'm a big fan of very specific kind of games. I'm a very big fan of very specific actors, movie directors. Uh, Massimiliano is a big retro gamer and a great historian in terms of uh, the gaming industries. And so on, every single member of the staff. I just uh, talked to you about Giulia Massimiliano, but there are uh, our animators uh, like Federica, uh, like Alberto, uh, who are not here with us because they are probably sleeping <laughs> at the moment. Wow. Really? They it's both it's have... half past nine, sleeping already. Yeah. Maybe not sleeping, but almost there, right? Yes. Yeah, almost there, probably. Uh, con taking consideration that tomorrow will be uh, at 9 a.m., just work, start working again and again on Simon. We have our guys up, up in Gorizia, where we have the entire programming team. Uh, people like uh, Stefano Campodallorto, a great person, a great leader himself like Thomas, uh, one of our uh, programmers, our new members, and so on. Every single member of the team brings something to every single one of our projects. And that's the great part of our industry. Every, every single uh, voice can be important. Yes. Every, every single idea one. counts, every input. Every input. Yeah. yeah. Even every the ones uh, taking into consideration an idea is not just, okay, I hear you, I will put simply just one-on-one -on -one your idea, okay, your idea is this, I will, no. Of course, we have a role separation. I'm a designer, she's the 2D lead artist. If I have a, a, an idea that does not translate well in, on the arts, art point, she will give my opinion. I will trust competence in this sphere. And of course, we are talking about writing, directing, new mechanics, puzzles, and so on, uh, about Simon and uh, Simon many other games. My opinion would be very specific. My role would be that one. 
every single member has its role. This is true, but every single opinion is important for us. We every are, single point of view is very important. We are for kind us. of in a constant state of brainstorming here. Yeah. We have an open room in the studio yeah. and we're constantly. Our studio just is basically a big open space with just a single wall. Just a single wall for the okay. entire. Okay, a big office, I see. Yeah, it's a big office with which we can uh, share opinions, talk about. A lot of times has happened that we have the <laughs> same exact idea at the <laughs> same time. Three people will turn around, hey, what about we put these in the game? Every single one, at the same time. We have a meme inside joke. With, we have a hamster in our heads that jumps around. Yeah, Ignazio. We call him Ignazio. Yeah, his name is Ignazio. I would be interested, Jola, in a personal opinion. What's your opinion about the big backslash that David Gossman got on the Return of Monkey Island graphic style? People were rude to Ron Gilbert on his personal blog, so he had to disable his comment section, saying he would never talk to the press again because he's so pissed about the actions by the fans. We, of course, cannot endorse any kind of activity that involves being rude to other people. Especially the kind of comments that were sent towards Bongi yeah, that we've seen and were We were not quite, happy about them. Um, quite troubling. The only thing I can say as a small developer is the fact that even we received a little bit of a backlash when we released our first trailer, our first teaser trailer. I would have not disabled the comment section, I would have not left my players. Yeah, I know that many people were not that happy with many different choices that they saw with our game. I would have not disabled that. I would have just listened, as I did, we listened to our players. We just say, okay, we hear you, we are not happy about you being rude to us, and there were a lot of people that were just rude to us. But we will let our game talk for us. And that happened with Ron Lieber. Every single person was like that, pointing fingers at him. Hey, why you do that? the game like this? I do not like the offset. Then the game came out. Everyone loved the game. That game has a Metacritic of something like 93, which is wow, which is wild, actually. I'm surprised that the game did not release, did not receive that many nomination for the game awards i'm sad about that actually uh, but yeah the the backlash was there we do not endorse that we can say that we may have done we may have done differently or maybe i might say that i would have done differently actually but yeah we do not endorse that kind of action for from players or from persons from every single person around the world we tend to be more uh, gentle towards our players, our colleagues around the world, because at the end of the day, we are talking about games. We are talking about something that have to make your life better, that have to give you something, that have to let you enjoy a relaxing night. Maybe you are sitting there with your child, you are sharing a memory, you are sharing a, a gaming section. Or maybe you are just returning to your home after a long day of work. You just want to leave a good story. You just want to chuckle at some good joke from your favorite character. You just want to be happy. 
Because games are that, games are happiness at the end of the day. We do not want to create problems. We do not want to make people sad. We want to make people happy. And I'm not talking about me and Julia or about small things. I'm talking about, I guess, I think in my small opinion, about every single developer out there. We love games, not just because we love making games, but because we want to make people happy. We want to make our player happy. Making a game is like creating a communication. We are the one who send the message. The channel is the game and the receiver is our player. Our player respond to our first trans of communication. They play the game. They give us their opinion. That might be a good opinion or a bad opinion, but as developers, we all want the best for our players. We want them to have fun, to be happy. Being happy is not just to chuckle out joke, it's just to live a story, uh, interact with the world, have fun at the end of the day, uh, to be able to capture that sensation, that, that feeling of wellness. You have, we all have when we play a game. Since we are a child, up until we are old and we play with our grandchildren, maybe, or we have a card game with our old friend. Gaming is that. Gaming is being happy. Gaming is fun. Gaming is not being rude. Gaming is not being sad. At, at least this is my opinion. This is just a small Unless opinion game, from a big game. the game wants to make you sad. That's, that's, a, that's different a different kind of happiness. That's but a different yes, kind of happiness. I feel like games are supposed to be a respite. Like any form of art, it's a communication and it's something that makes the person that's viewing, viewing it for a moment, a few hours, step outside of their own everyday life and there's something different. And maybe just by doing so, by playing, become something different, learn something different. One big part maybe the most important aspect of gaming is the interaction. While we interact, uh, we create a kind of a different connection that is more, that is deeper than just reading a book or watching a movie. We become part of the message. We become part of the game. The game cannot go on without us as players. So we are part of the world. We are part of the game. We may change our perspective around the world. Hell, I cannot tell you how many times I felt that. For example, The Last of Us. Yes, I'm not a father. I was about to bring that I'm up. not a father. I'm not even a girl, for example. But I felt a deep connection to characters such as Joel or such as Helen. And for example, a Plague Tale, Amicia. Uh, with his little, uh, with her little brother, that kind of a connection. This is something that uh, maybe a person like Julia, who has not a brother or a sister, can feel that, can learn that kind of connection. I did. For example, we did not try to survive a, a plague such as a plague day, but we felt that kind of feelings in a way, because we were living those situations, because we were interacting with that game. Gaming is that at the end of the day, is interacting with a story, interacting with a world, interacting with a system. 
and receive something from that system. Maybe a lesson and a story, a good story, maybe just fun sometimes. Hell, you can, there are many different types of gamers. There are gamers that, that enjoy adventures, such as Simon. There are gamers that, that enjoy just a Call of Duty match. Or gamers that just like a specific kind of games. Or gamers such as me, I like, for example, I like many different genres, action RPGs or shooters and so on. For example, I'm not a huge fan of um, driving games or sports singing, and that's just fine. Every single gamer is different, and not every single gamer has to like every single aspect. But every single gamer has the right to be happy with a project, with a project. What I find interesting as an outsider, I mean, I'm doing this as a hobby, is the dynamic in the video game industry. Like, when people had the same reservations about the Need for Speed Unbound, manga graphic style ea was like on twitter was like don't worry you can switch it off you can switch it off we won't do the same mistake as ron gilbert and i was like isn't that the wrong isn't that the wrong approach do you want to be a victim to your gamers as a game designer or as a publisher or as a game development studio shouldn't you have the right to make the graphics and the design of a game the way you want it and not go after your fans and instantly change everything because you received some backlash that just that was just my thought behind it yeah i i shared your same opinion on this subject i think that of course the player has every single right to show his discontent to show that he or she does not like a specific uh, solution but we also have to take into consideration the fact that we can effectively share our opinion after the game release after we play the game in my opinion at least <laughs> but of course yes. and of course we as a developer have to listen to our player There's that that does not mean to change an entire game just yeah. because of some comments because of the fact that also a larger part of the gaming community is not online. We have to we listen to the most... Uh, to, to the louder the, ones. Yeah, to the louder parts yeah, of the community, of course, but that's just not the entire part of the community. Also, all of us, me included, tend to share opinion, to be scourged or to be scared of new stuff, especially when we talk about historical sagas, series, and so on. But we have to look beyond that. For example, our boss, Massimiliano Calamai, was not uh, fully convinced on the artistic approach as a gamer, just as a gamer, about Return to Monkey Island. But he loved the game, actually, when it came out. I was not fully convinced. I played the game. And I felt that it was, in many cases, done very well. It gave us a good approach, a new, different approach. Maybe not fully convincing, but in the in complete package that did not ruin my experience with the game. I think that for Julia was the same. Exactly. Also, uh, a small part that I do not expect every single player to understand, of course, is the fact that we are, uh, as developers, have to work with what we have, with what we can do and what we can achieve. We have to make choices about art style, technical parts of the game, design part of the game, writing part of the game. Uh, these choices 
are very well studied, very looked at. We have to take into consideration every single one of these aspects when we make a choice. In my opinion, Ron Gilbert did not choose the type style just because. Mm. He had a, a specific reason, maybe some kind of constraints, maybe a specific artistic uh, solution because he simply felt that kind of solution fit very well. The, the story you mean, you mean yeah. David Gossman because he was the graphic artist, actually. Yeah, but, yeah sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I guess the problem here is the game was too much advanced once the revealer trailer was released. You, they would have to scratch the whole thing, uh, scrap the whole thing, and redo the whole graphics. That's not possible. If no, the game that is, that is of done, course you know? not even remotely possible again. Also, you have to take into consideration that maybe the art staff that worked on the game chose that art style because that was their art style. That was what they could achieve to do with their budget and the people that were working on the game, which is completely fine. We chose this art style because we felt that it was the right art style for Simon the Sorcerer, but we, that because also we knew that this was what we could do. This was our art style, what we could do with Simon the Sorcerer. Yeah, as artists, and designers, programmers, we have to make specific choices. We have to uh, pay attention to every single detail. Every single choice must be taken into consideration. And we have to think about every single aspect of the game. We do not make choices uh, just because uh, we want to make something different for, for the sake of it. We have to think about what we can do because if we do not think, the experience is not well done. And if the experience is not well done, our player cannot enjoy the experience. And if our player cannot enjoy the experience, our player cannot be happy. And if the, our players are not happy, we are not happy at all. It's a it's cycle. A yeah, it's a circle. It's a big circle. Yeah. The circle of okay. life of developers. Yes, exactly. That was a long answer for the short question. Awesome. I and I said this was a great start. Okay. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Glad to hear. Glad to hear. I hope uh, I'm glad to hear you enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Okay. So have a good night and keep in touch. Okay. Talk to you then. Have a good night. Bye bye. See bye. ya. Bye. bye.